Welcome to The Shift, the podcast that empowers you to make a change in your life and chase your dreams with passion and purpose. If you are tired of feeling stuck in a life that doesn't fulfill you, if you have big dreams and ambitions but struggle to turn them into reality, if you want to break free from self-doubt and limited beliefs, Join us every week to listen to inspiring stories from regular people just like you, actionable insights, and the motivation you need to make the shift towards your own dreams. And please don't forget to share, subscribe, and leave us a review to help spread the message and inspire others. Hey Shifters, welcome to another episode of our podcast, The Shift, where we interview people who made a move from nine to five job are about to make a move or just started their journey towards that goal to become whatever they wanted to become or whatever they had a dream to become entrepreneurs business owners investors etc so today i have a guest on our show and his name is brenton blount he started his real estate career hey brent how's it going man good (laughs) you know I'm excited uh, to dive into Brenton's story. So we are not going to spend too much time introducing him, but he started his real estate career while still being on W2. Is that right, Brenton? Yeah. No, we're definitely burning it from all ends, both ends, all ends, uh, trying to get the business up and running and then scaling the business while uh, holding down full-time careers. So it's a struggle that a lot of investors and just entrepreneurs in general go through that's cool well let's get to know you a little bit better like what is your background where are you from where do you currently live yeah originally from the east coast i say that because i'm on the, the west coast now i grew up in new jersey outside of philadelphia area and i was in federal law enforcement in the military since age 19 so just timing is everything in life i graduated boot camp and military police school six months before 9-11 happened. So I went back to college, uh, I'd taken the semester off and I, I joined the, the National Guard while I was in college, thinking it'd be a fun way to serve kind of part-time. And then September 11th happened a few months later and uh, goodbye college. I was overseas back and forth through the 2000s in various locations. And so that, I was active duty for years on deployments and was in law enforcement in the military, started off as military police, and then I was a criminal investigator, a special agent with the Army. And that took me around the world and did a lot of neat stuff with that and uh, bridged that into a federal law enforcement career as a criminal investigator with the U.S. government. So a lot of fraud investigations, executive protection in Washington, D.C. for 10 years. And then I was out in the Pacific Northwest, which we loved. And I'm now in Las Vegas, Nevada, which is funny to say. I never, if you had ever asked me if I'd ever live in Las Vegas, I probably would have laughed at you. Why? But my wife is from here. And when we had kids, we decided to get rid of the long commutes that we were doing in Washington, D.C. and then Seattle and have more time for the kids and a little bit. So uh, that worked out well. It's very hot here. There's a lot of benefits to living here as well. Well, I hope you're not being attracted too much to gambling, are you? No, I actually don't gamble, which is probably the best thing ever. I mean, no, and the locals don't go to the, the strip, but the weird thing about Las Vegas, it's very surreal, <laughs> is there's slot machines in, in 
the gas stations. It's everywhere. But that, oh, wow. that doesn't phase me at all. I would much rather go uh, spend money on a, a good steak or a meal out with my wife or friends than, than put a dollar into a slot machine or a, or a blackjack table. So I can walk right by that unfazed. We enjoy the fact that it's a relatively small town. Surprisingly, I tell people this, Las Vegas has a big image, but it's a small town. And so you can be across town. And, and really? Uh, we don't go to the strip unless it's for a, a show or a dinner. So that's pretty neat. But yeah, and about five years ago, six years ago, uh, decided to have one of those moments where I said, I got I to gotta do something else. I kind of reached the point where there were no more stepping stones. Uh, and I know you're going to get into this a little bit with some of your questions, but kind of no more professional stepping stones. You're always looking for that next thing professionally in my federal law enforcement career. I reached a point where I kind of got there and I was only for all intents and halfway through my career. And I was like, okay, is it just this now forever? Keep punching the clock towards retiring and pension. And, and so I, I think it was, that's when I realized it was more about the growth and the striving for the next level in my career. And that was a, a moment where I identified something about myself, which was, it wasn't so much the job itself. It was more the, the kind of the journey and uh, without even a destination in mind. I liked what I did, loved criminal investigations. I loved, it's very similar. It lends itself very well to due diligence and multifamily. You're just digging into a, someone else's business and finding uh, the red flags. So very similar to a fraud investigation you're just not putting him in prison at the end you're buying the <laughs> but i identified that about myself in that process was when i reached this point where okay i made it there is no real next step it's more just lateral movements and i very quickly became mentally a little stagnant i wanted something else and, and then the financial side of it. you reach a point where you're like okay and especially in the federal government or military or anywhere where you're salaried and you reach that ceiling within your job career field where this is it. Annual increases with the government, whatever else, but nothing substantial. That's it. You make good money, but you make it early. And then it's kind of plateaus for the rest of your career. And that was a little depressing. That was it. These are the means that we're going to operate off of. We can tighten the belt and be frugal, but we're not, there's nothing that's going to really move the needle. And that's what I wanted to do was I wanted to move the needle quality of life. And then and not to get too far down into it, but it was along that kind of personal journey that I realized that it was more about time. It starts off as a financial conversation in your head or with your, with my wife. And what I really realized through that process in podcasts and books and entrepreneurial things is I wanted freedom of time and where and how I derived my salary would allow for that time, especially as we were looking to start a family. So uh, that's that was the big mental shift. And in there, in my mid to late thirties, is when I made the mistake of reading Rich Dad Poor Dad because <laughs> you can't unread that, right? You can't un. <laughs> that was a paradigm, like many. I mean, it's almost it's super cliche. I was mad that I didn't know about that book. Never even heard of it. I had a college degree. Well, 
I was successful. I had worked at the high levels of government in Washington, D.C. and executive protection. I'd been, been around a little bit within my own realm. And it amazed me. It was just a whole new world. It was just pulling back the curtain. And the, the mental transformation into where and how and what you keep and taxation and, and all that kind of stuff. And that's where really I got into the, the real estate investing. Long-winded answer, huh? The full journey there. That's it. Hey, I think we can end the podcast. <laughs> hey, so, uh, no, that's totally awesome. And I think I can relate to that because I read that book as well. I reached that with that. And I think it also transformed my life a little bit where I started thinking about things a little bit differently. But so you mentioned that Yeah. So you mentioned that real estate journey, it's like a journey without a hardcore, like a point where you, that you can reach, right? There is no destination, right? So it's like, you can actually go as far as you want to go, right? Versus being on your nine to five job where you can reach a specific point and you can pretty much go any more vertical unless you want to go horizontal or then vertical, if it's possible. And I wanted to ask you, so going to a specific point where you don't have a destination, how do you mentally prepare yourself? How did you mentally prepare yourself for this specific journey? Yeah, it's a great question. You don't know what you don't know, right? I think I was afforded the luxury, unlike many people I see in the business, and it's, not, it's neither a pro nor a con, it's just different, which is I was already in my late 30s when I kicked this off and, and started my first business. I had already been successful professionally. I had been around the world. I was in, in federal law enforcement and I understood the law and I worked with attorneys and in my own right, I was a successful professional and I had created that for myself from the ground up as an entry level coming out you know, in the military then coming out of the military. I went through several combat deployments in Afghanistan and Iraq and other places of the world. And so I had a lot of confidence in my ability to take on any challenge. So I think that's a lot of it. I'm my partner and my business partner would probably say annoyingly tenacious by in my personality. So I will, when I get enthusiastic about something and we start to figure it out, we, I'm on fire. I love it. I absolutely love it. So, so as far as preparing myself, there was the knowledge. I look back on this now a little bit, five, six years into the business. There's the knowledge, right? I mean, first you need the vision, your why, uh, how Simon Sinek talks about that. A lot of people, everybody talks about your why, but he, he probably writes some of the best books on that infinite game, infinite thinking. Great book, unbelievable book. One of my favorites about mindset. And so you need your vision, what, what you're doing and why, right? Some clarity. And then you need the, the building blocks. I didn't, I knew about real estate. I bought and sold homes and DIY stuff and, and things like that. But I didn't know anything about really budgeting for rentals. Uh, it started with a single family flipper too, right? HGTV, too easy. Not that easy. Did that and <laughs> sure, but we, it was a struggle to break even on those first you know, single family home flips. Did it just a couple and then realized very quickly couldn't scale. 
I didn't like residential lending in trying to get started with houses. I didn't like it impacting my personal credit report or my family's ability to buy a home of our own, whatever it may be. So there's a lot of overlap there. Whereas in commercial, there was clear distinction in lending and how that's underwritten. So and I also enjoyed that and I saw the ability to scale there with systems. Now, as far as mentally, with to your point, I think, and I tell people, I had spent my entire adult career since age 19, either in the military or in law enforcement with the government. And it is the absolute epitome of Kiyosaki's E-Quadrant. I mean, the mindset is the employee, the 401k, pension, punch the clock for 20, 25 years, and then live off the government the rest of your life. I mean, it is right out of his book. And that's why when I read the book, it was like he was in my head as a dialogue of everything I had ever heard and been taught in conversations at work. And what I loved immediately about the real estate business, specifically multifamily investing, was that it exercised a totally different part of my life. It was like you said, there was no box. There was no checklist. I mean, there's no shortage of checklists in the business, but there was no real box that you had to conform to. You were only limited, whether in time, salary, success, by your own work ethic and efficiency. And that's what I loved about it because that's kind of the opposite of working for the government. That's what I loved. And there was no ceiling. And you could rework, reassess, readjust, and go back at it in, in a slightly different way. And those skill sets I learned, I think they're fundamental to problem solving and to getting things. I learned a lot of it in the military, communication skills, interpersonal, interpersonal communication, logistics, organization, prioritization. Those are key skills. And I think when you're thrown a lot of young entrepreneurs, I'm afforded the opportunity to have worked in a very structured environment uh, with the military. There's a protocol for putting on your shoes and there's a protocol for fighting a war and everything in between. So I was used to that. Mm -hmm. And so that understanding that framework lend itself well to setting up our business because we understood standard operating procedures and kind of a framework and, and repeatable steps, which allows you to scale. So I think, but also we had to change our mindset a little bit about there is no framework to lean against. It's nothing's going to stand you up. You have to go do it yourself at any given moment. You can't take your eye off. So we love it. We love the challenges. There's moments of extreme frustration, but whether it's not happening fast enough, as fast as you thought it would, you hear these bigger pockets podcasts when you get started and you're like, oh, I'm going to clear a hundred bucks cash. <laughs> times X amount of doors. And you're like, no problem. I'm going to have 500 doors and I'll be making whatever, 10 grand a month. It's not that, but that's okay. You learn, you live and learn. And our goal at this point is to keep scaling our business, but also turn around and assist others in trying to just kind of pay it forward. Some of the things we wish we had known getting and partnering with people, which is the big third key that I kind of you got your clarity, what you want to do, your why, your foundational knowledge of the business, what's a cap rate, what's debt service, all those things that you learned how to underwrite. But then you need to start to deconstruct the pieces of the business, which is the pieces of the puzzle necessary to take down multifamily deals, whether it's a 16 unit or 160 unit. You need to identify those pieces and then solve for them deal by deal. And that's really where partnerships came in. And that's a big fundamental piece of 
add to our success that we can discuss further as needed. Absolutely. Hey, so what came first to you? Clarity, vision, or education? Yeah, it was definitely a breaking point. I mean, it was one of those moments where my wife is a healthcare provider and she's way, 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 way smarter than I am. She was an orthopedic PA and she went back during COVID and got her PhD in, in healthcare administration and she already had a master's. She replaced people's knees and hips in operating rooms and, and then run hospitals, right? So we were both successful and we made a good wage and we lived a good life and we lived with relatively within our means. We had good credit scores. We were lendable. We could get loans. But there was a point where you reach, you're like, what? But we're at the limit. We can't responsibly go any higher. And there's nothing, I don't see anything down the road unless we change something that's going to, that's, but I remember laying in bed one night. It was somewhere in 2016 or 17 living in Seattle. And I remember she was asleep next to me. I was just, I'm staring up at the ceiling in the dark going, I don't see the path to getting ahead uh, financially. And that, that's what really spurred it was. I reached a point where like, I got on my phone and I was like, how do I get into real estate? How do I generate other, do I become an agent and do it part-time? Like, where's that extra bump of 20,000 or $30,000 a year going to come from? At that point, I wasn't even thinking about leaving my job, placing my income. I was just thinking about a supplemental to move the needle, to continue to provide more for our family. And so there was definitely a breaking point. I said, we were staring at the ceiling in the dark going, something's got, something's got, something's got to change. I, there's, and, there's no other output with the same input. Nice. Cool. So, and that's when you sort of started making your first moves in the real estate. I just, I Googled it blindly. Yeah. I found bigger pockets and I was like, that's a, that's a silly name. And, but they just, this. And I think they were maybe a hundred podcasts in at the time. And I got hooked on that. Well, that started down that, mm-hmm. the evolution, pick a bigger pot. <laughs> unbelievable, but it is, it's a lot of white noise. I mean, they talk about, so it's very easy to, yeah, I'm going to do this and 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 flip houses and wholesale and hard money and this and that buy liens and note. And so you think you just, you, you develop your own with where you are and what your goals are and then how it fits your personality and multifamily definitely fits our personality because we can leverage other resources in a specific capacity, like third-party property management companies, brokerages for debt, deal sourcing, all those kind of things, construction and vendors. So that's what I like about it. And we get the opportunity to work with a lot of different people, which is really fun. That's one of my favorite parts of the business is the networking. And I don't mean handing out business cards. I mean, actually networking with people and solving problems and building, building partnerships. Excellent. I think it's uh, probably the most important thing, right? It's like uh, you need to build relationships with people in order to provide value first, right? And then uh, ask something for return or don't ask. And people will actually come to with uh, what they have and what they need. So it's like a reciprocity in a, in a sense, right? Absolutely. I mean, that, what I was talking about earlier with the pieces of the puzzle, the, I could write a, a book. I should, I guess, in this business, everybody writes a book. I could write a book on the things that weren't in all the books. 
I'm no stranger to educating myself. I didn't just arbitrarily willy-nilly quit the job and burn the ships and the whole deal. No, it's like I have responsibilities and commitments to a family of mortgage and a salary to replace. And I wasn't in a position to take a 90% pay cut and flip a house. So you have to kind of balance that, right? And, but I, I mean, I consumed everything, every audible book, the end of every bigger pockets podcast, when the guests recommended their business and real estate books, I would immediately download those. I had an hour commute each way and I was plowing through audible books and podcasts. And so when we pulled the trigger on our first deal, which was in Texas and I was living in Seattle, afraid of managing teams remotely. I had done that in, of course, you multi-state investigations and task force and things like that. So I understood the concepts of team building there and management and oversight, but you can have all the building blocks and the knowledge and there's big gaps in this business. And I think that some of the knowledge is it's because pieces of it don't sell podcasts and sell books, right? So there's pieces of it that are a little less glamorous that they don't really, that they don't talk about as much and that you do need to figure out. And there's a variety of things, but you fill in the gaps along the way. And then you partner up with folks that can bring, take you to the next level and turn around and partner with people that are behind you by one or two steps to bring them along with you. And I think that that fosters a very uh, strong foundation, both upward looking and backwards looking. Yeah. No, I think I, I totally agree. It's uh, partnerships is a great way to actually to supplement the knowledge that you may not have, right? And use their resources to complement what you're doing. So I, I think this is a great way to actually move forward. You mentioned that I want to go back to that moment where you were lying on a bed, uh, thinking about what I'm going to do. How am I going to create more income for myself and my family? And I'm curious, what was going on through your head at that moment? Like, what was uh, going through your mind? Yeah, it was, it was frustration. It was uh, sheer frustration. Just not, like, something's got to give. I don't, my current path isn't going to really change. I've reached this point in my career where my salary is effectively, I've reached the pay grade that I'm going to reach and it's not going to make any substantial change upward. Working harder doesn't get you promotions necessarily. And so it's a time and time and pay grade kind of thing. So I really started to look outward. What else can I do? And the big thing was while balancing time. Now we didn't have kids at the time, but I was married and we, we had a, a life. So what can I do that provides the most income with a part-time requirement commitment? And so I started got my real estate license. I thought I could do that part-time. And so I got my real estate license. I, you know, hung my license with Keller Williams. I did that a partially really just to kind of learn the inner workings of the business, the background and, and the contracts and the, and then be able to potentially kind of vertically integrate with house flipping or, or burring single family homes and having MLS access. And that was my grand plan for many people. And what you realize is that works for a little while, even if you are, but then you really need to delegate that out to people that do it full-time and can do it better than you. 
but that was the, so I got my real estate license and then we got into, we all started going to meetups. My partner and I started going to meetups and uh, some house flippers. And so we started getting that knowledge and understanding what wholesalers were and what hard money was and all these kind of things. And you start to learn in the business. And we, we kind of wandered our way into it. We flipped the house. We were using rules of thumb in underwriting, which everyone promotes. It's great for like a five minute underwrite, but you really shouldn't buy a property with any rules of thumb, but you don't know what you don't know. Right. And so that was the big thing was, was just sheer frustration and reaching that point where you're like, I have to do something. I'm going to start Googling real estate. I was like, I could do that. I could sell a house. I know real estate. I've bought and sold houses of my own. I've rehabbed homes. And that was really where it started. That was the thread that I pulled that kind of got me into the business. And then one thing led to the other. The big thing came, came from single family to multifamily was about the ability to scale. Excellent. Awesome. One thing that you mentioned, a frustration. And what I like about your answer is a lot of people, when they get frustrated, about something, right? They don't actually push forward to do something about it. They actually go to the opposite direction. But you, on the other hand, you actually push through it and you wanted to come out on the other end being a winner. So this is what I like about this answer. And you actually, of course, being in a law enforcement field, right? You had the specific training to do that. Like lots of people don't actually have that. Yeah. I totally agree. I think in the military, the mission has to get done and you always do it. You make decisions with imperfect information with uh, not all the resources that you otherwise would like to have. And at any given time, there's probably 10 things that you'd like to get done, but you only have the time or resources for three. Choose, choose wisely <laughs> and in your ability to prioritize those things and your ability to apply resources. And then there's the mindset, the tenacity and law enforcement. You, you spend a lot of time and in the military, but you're going home at the end of the day. And that's the bottom line. You're going home at the end of the day and there is no real quitting. And there's plenty of metaphors and analogies and all these kind of things, but it is definitely a mindset that was drilled into me and I was in back when I was 18, 19, joining the military. So people are like, oh, we should stop and reassess. And I was like, that's not a bad plan, but the mission is now moving. It needs to be completed. So keep moving. There is no stopping. Yeah. And, and you need to be able to reach out visually, mentally, and identify the hurdles, identify the, the things that are the roadblocks and start putting pieces uh, and prioritize them correctly. Tactics were home stacking your targets, right? You got to put them in the right order and then, and then apply your resources effectively to, to knock them down or to neutralize them. So that's how I look at a lot of, of multifamily and a lot of just the business end of it is racking and stacking what's going on in your business, what will have the highest effect and where's the best application of your resources time is a big team, right? Everybody's like, oh, I'm going to go hire all these employees and pay them half. 
And so you're mostly, most of us are solopreneurs, right? When you're getting, getting started and you're, and you're trying to wear all the hats. And I'll speak to that for one quick second. We talked about the clarity and the foundation of knowledge, but that partnership piece, so we spent two years with 16 units, a 16 unit property. It was very successful. We bought it, we rehabbed it. We essentially burned it. At nine months, we took out a cash out refinance. We completely repositioned the property, took it down to one tenant. We made every mistake in the book, but luckily we bought right. And that's something Jake and Gino, and it's in their wheelbarrow profits, right? But if you buy right, you can withstand a lot of mistakes. And, and we did, because we were using rules of thumb for rehab numbers. We were nowhere close. We didn't do thorough enough due diligence. You can, I think you can escape that if it's your own money, which we did that first deal, because we really, we're big on credibility. Coming from our backgrounds and my partner, business partner has the same background as I do. And everybody's got information. Everyone wants to tell you something. Everyone wants to snitch on somebody, right? But how credible are they? How credible are they? We're, we really wanted to be credible before we ever borrowed anybody else's money in this business to do a deal. We wanted to understand the nuts and bolts of the process. So we self-managed from out of state. We managed the construction teams. We went through the trials and tribulations of being far away. Those 10 o'clock at night, the contractor's in a different time zone and needs materials at Lowe's and I'm on my phone. It's like, that's the stuff you do. And then you learn the pain points and you learn how to build out your system. But we came, we sacrificed probably get being further along from a door count, from, as, from acquiring assets, but we came away with a strong foundation and so that was the trade-off and but we did spend two years spinning our wheels with 16 doors because we were trying to solve for all the pieces of the business by ourselves net worth liquidity soft cost cash deal sourcing underwriting due diligence acquisition raising money property management we we're trying to solve for all of it ourselves because that's these are the pieces of the puzzle. Now go do them if you want to do the business. And no one really, it was a 2017, 18 to 2020, we had the same 16 unit property going full cycle, but we were actively looking for deals. We were just trying to solve for all the pieces ourselves. And then we started just through friendships. We found a deal and then, Hey, we could partner up on this. You're at this point in our career, your career, we could come together to take this down. And okay, great. Now we didn't think anything of it at the time, but then all of a sudden 24 units took that down and then a 47 unit. And so that was, and then a, and then a 40 unit and we took off. It was a catalyst. It was the missing piece was to stop trying to plow for all the pieces yourself. And as soon as we started to very deliberately and intentionally partner up with people and seeking out the right partners and you make mistakes on that and we all of a sudden went from 16 doors to 80, you know, and the, the, the following year, we spent two years at 16 doors. And then 2021, we picked up 87, 2022, you know, 2022, we picked up 312 and then it was kind of off to the races and it was the missing piece that kind of gas on the fire was partnerships, was putting together pieces and saying, oh, this deal requires X amount of net worth and liquidity. Who do I know in my network? It can solve for that at the lowest level possible. Great. Boom, 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 boom. You start to piece it together. Let's take this deal down. 
And all of a sudden it started to work real fast because you have a team of employees that they're not employees or your partners and they have their own companies, but you join together for the forces of taking down that, that deal. And it, it really just, and that was the bridge between having all the foundational knowledge from the books and the podcasts and the masterminds, but then really making it less fragmented. And that's what I think a lot of programs kind of fail to do is, is the connective tip between bone and muscle and figuring that out. That's amazing, man. What I hear from other real estate investors is when you do your first deal, it's like first deal is like very important. Once you do that, it grows faster. It's just the deals, the like partnerships, everything else just grows 2x, 3x, 4x, 5x faster. So you have to, but you have to go through this like first deal. And it's like, we can totally take this to, it's like, I think it's a different podcast that we can also do. And just talk about multifamily and real estate. I also want to go back to fundamentals and basics because our audience, uh, these are the people that are trying to make moves. They're trying to shift from nine to five jobs to do something else. Maybe they have some side, some kind of side hustle. Maybe they don't. But I think jumping into something, follow your dreams, jumping into something. You mentioned that what I think is very important is like teams, right? Like who do you know that can help you? I think one of the stages. And we don't, we're not going to go to the stage like, hey, it's not about who you know. It's about who knows you. I think it's a different stage, right? But uh, let's talk about like, what do you think would be important to people to know, like how to find those people? Yeah, I, yeah that they will find their outfits. Yeah, you have to put yourself out there. I think picking there's no way to know if you're picking the right people, right? I mean, or partnering with the wrong people. Most the best you can do is put yourself out there. Good news is we started, and then two, three years in, and all of a sudden COVID. So right when we were getting into really trying to grow our power-raising capabilities and growing our network. COVID hit and it was like really hard to do anything in person. Couldn't really attend networking events and all these things where you just kind of got to get in the room. And I, there is, I was very frustrated in the beginning because I didn't have the money to pay in to a lot of programs, right? But the programs were where you meet people. And so there's a catch-22 there for people to you're at that breaking point where you're like, well, I can put some, I could go throw it on a credit card, but I kind of need to know it's high payout. And there's these people, there's plenty of people out there that just bounce from program to program, mastermind, boot camp to boot camp, and they've never bought from But there's the more responsible types. You're like, well, where's the highest payoff? If I can only afford one or two events or coaching programs, what should they be? What are the most effective? And I think looking for the groups you can go to one of the bigger guru type folks, right? And I don't mean that in a negative way. They have thousands and thousands and thousands of doors and you see their coaching programs all over the place. Okay. I mean, you're going to have access to a lot of people, but it's kind of, it, it doesn't really merge with human nature and psychology. Like you're only going to actually connect with five or six or seven people out of that. I mean, you can meet a lot of people kind of in an ancillary manner, but 
to me anyway, I would look, if I were doing it over, I would look for a group somewhere around where you are, where we are, that's got three, four, 500 doors. They've raised capital. They figured out the system and now they're really scaling, right? They have vision of what they, where they are now. They've gone through the kind of hard knock stuff and it doesn't mean there's not new challengers, just challenges every day. People are like, oh, you made it. I'm like, made it where? I haven't made it anywhere. But but it feels that way because you're always striving for the next step or whatever it is. And it's not that you can't be content. It's that you, you see the building blocks once you kind of pull back the curtain. So, and I think finding that group of people that do have the knowledge that aren't just repeating what they've heard on podcasts, right? Are they out there doing it? We do some coaching with folks and our goal is, is to, teach them the fundamentals, but I'm far from an industry expert at all, but I do have a big network of people that are subject matter experts in their respective fields. So if I'm not going to speak to complicated debt things, I'm going to bring in my friend who does debt for a living, right? So that kind of thing. And so I think looking at their network and then looking for the opportunity to learn, but also part, if you're going to join a program and spend a chunk of money, whether it's eight grand, 12 grand, some of the bigger ones are 25 or $40,000. I mean, which is to me crazy, but it is what it is. It's, it's the industry. You do get a little bit what you pay for to a point. And I think that you need to, the big question you need to ask, and we've already discussed it about partnerships is, okay, you're going to teach me the knowledge, but when I find the 16 unit or my first 12 unit, am I going to be stuck just applying that knowledge on my own? Or is this group tight enough? Is it just the right size, not too big, not too small, to where it's worthwhile to KP, to keep, be a key principal, and to partner up and take down that deal? Are they too big to not have that be worth their time? Then maybe that's not the right... You can be a mentor and you can learn from them, but maybe not the best coaching plan. Because what you really need is somebody that you're going to learn from and that they're going to turn around because you're in their program with you and say, awesome, you found the 16 unit. We can help you out. We'll sign on the loan with you because we know because we helped teach it to you. Now let's turn around and walk through the deal together. You want to just be boots on ground and, and just see it and be a fly on the wall. Great. If we had 5,000 doors, we probably wouldn't have the time or the, the resources to really, by virtue of what the business would be to turn around with a, a coaching student and say, yeah, let's go do it. Let's go take down this 12 unit together. It behooves them. It behooves us. Let's let's go do it. Is it adding a bunch of doors to management? No, but it's an effective closing, and you're building out your network and you're closing deals. Which a lot of this business, it's understated. A lot of this business is momentum. It really is, and you need to maintain that momentum. But it's you can go a long time looking for the next 200 unit property because there's a lot of competition out there. But if you've got a network of people that are out in their hometown that you meet once a week, twice a week via Zoom for coaching, whatever it is, they're in their market. They can go look at things, things that I can't. And it's it's force multipliers, what I think of it as. I don't have eyes and ears in Evansville, Indiana, or, or Texarkana. But if someone in, in our group does and they bring a deal, great, let's do it. Now we have a footprint and we can provide value, something that they need, which is some experience, some oversight, but then also the nuts and bolts. Who's going to qualify for this loan? Who's got the track record to qualify in the eyes of the lender? Who's got the track record to raise the capital? And we're far from huge capital raisers. 
but you can turn around and, and at any given time be a little bit bigger fish in a smaller pond behind you. Totally, totally. And I think it's gold right there. So guys, like if you do wanna follow your dreams, like if you wanna do something, like Brandon just said, plug yourself in into groups of people that already one step or two steps ahead of you and just put yourself out there whether you're introvert or extrovert i know it's a little bit harder for introverts but you guys have to do it like if you want to follow your dreams like you have to do it because no one else will do it for you Stratton, you touched on uh, clarity and vision so you touched on clarity and vision and the why aspect, right? Like, what is your why? Yeah, it changes over time. I touched on this earlier. When we were starting, you don't know what you don't know. I was like, an extra 30 or 40 grand a year would drastically change our ability to not... We were in that that early to mid thirties time frame where all of your friends are getting married, starting to get married. And so we basically spent all of our allowed paid vacation time and all of our money going to people's weddings or going home to the East coast or wherever for holidays. Like my wife and I had never taken a vacation on our own ever. We, it was always dedicated to family and friends for, and then there was nothing left over for us. And you live that lifestyle and you don't realize it. So it was a breaking point of frustration, hopefully not anger, but it was this point where we're like, we don't have the resources to spend any time on ourselves. We're lucky if we go out to dinner because we're, you know, we're going to six weddings a year and, and all this kind of crazy stuff. And I get it. That's kind of time, but that's where we were at the time. And so I, my why in the beginning was I need without taking, I can't go bartend all right? Like that's not a good use of my time relative to the amount of money you can make. It'd be fun. I bartended in college, but it's, it's not what I wanted to do. But real estate was that thing where you could make the chunk. You could either flip a house or, and, or sell a house if you're a part-time real estate agent and make 10,000 or $20,000 with a fairly light lift relative to your time investment. To do it well, you need to do it for good agents. So the why shifted. I started off with, hey, let's just make an extra thirty or forty thousand dollars a year to really pay down school loans and, and really kind of move the needle and break free, right? Untether ourselves. But then as I got into the business and really started to learn about the taxation, passive earned income versus active earned income. It's not about what you make, but what you keep, et cetera, et cetera. All that stuff that's we hear all the time on all the podcasts and books it really is true and it changed my understanding of it and then the why started to shift and that it really became mm. it's not about how much money you make it's about how and where you derive that money if i work 38 hours in a week i make zero dollars because i work in a salaried position where you got to show up that 40 to 50 hours or, the, or nothing right and so mm -hmm. i would completely seduced by the concept of working extremely hard and then when you're done with your tasks being able to go do something else 
You don't have to sit in your cubicle. You don't have to pretend like you're working. You don't have to pretend like you have another 10 hours of work to do that week. You can just go do something else. You can go spend time with your wife. You can go kayaking. You can go work out. We didn't have kids yet, but now that's really, and that was the big shift point for me is once we had kids and our kids were still young, but over the past couple of years, that has become huge to me. It's, I don't care whether you're making 40 grand a year or $540,000 a year, whatever your lifestyle dictates. But what I wanted was the ability to do it from anywhere and not be tethered to a job location. And so my why shifted from 30 to $40,000 a year to, I want to own my own time for the first time in my life. Because when you're in the military and the government, they don't even factor in your time at all. Like if they can save $7 to have you drive in the hours instead of fly there in 45 minutes, they will absolutely opt for you to drive because time, your time is not even in their equation. And that, I never realized that. When you're young, you're like, oh, wow. let's just do it. I'll work forever. You can't hurt me. And, and then you grow up and you're like, what work? I love work. I don't lack work ethic, but I definitely don't want to be there any longer than I have to. And ideally I can work on my own business to whatever limit I so choose based off our quality or, or standard life, you know, quality of life. And it's not about the dollar amount. It's more about how and where you derive that. And that provides you the freedom of time when you can own your own time. And that became like, that was like up on the pedestal. It continues to be on the pedestal, right? How do I do this in last time more efficiently so that I have more <laughs> right? And the resources, uh, that's huge. I mean, that is, that's become a borderline obsession is okay. It took me 40 hours before, but now it takes me 30. Can I do it in six? How do I leverage other people's talents to be the less group? Whether it's delegation, it's not just, it's not necessarily having a bigger team. Sometimes it's rearranging how and what you do uh, and to what end. Because what's the payoff if we, if, if we spend the team's time doing this and resources, time being the, I don't know who said it, but time is truly the most, the only non-renewable resource. Can't get it back. So true. So true. That was a lot of information, guys. And I think you would need to go back and listen to this podcast probably a few times to actually get all the nuggets that Brenton just uh, put at you. <laughs> just, but uh, hey, so we could go on and on. And I'm enjoying our conversation so much that I think we can be on here for like three or four hours. But I want to go to our next round of conversation. Yeah. And fire up some fire up some questions uh, that I call the moment of truth. So try to answer them quickly, like one sentence. Uh, it's going like uh, just pretend you are fire on. Just pretend you like you fire your machine gun. All right. So the first question is, uh, what do you think your strength is? Developing an understanding of people's motivations, which I think allows you to understand them better and be effective in whatever you're trying to achieve with those people. So people call it networking. I would say really, truly understanding what their motivations are can allow you to kind of unlock who they are. What do you think your weakness is? 
My weakness is absolutely persisting through on things that are less interesting to me, right? Like when it's tax time or parts of the business, love building the network, building the team, finding it, doing the due diligence, taking down the deal, putting all the pieces in place, asset management and tracking the turnover units. And it's like, oh God, and I'll, I make myself do it, but you very quickly like, no, 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 that's as an entrepreneurial skill that you don't learn in other areas, which is jobs, which is quickly identifying who's better at this and who can do it more effectively because I hate it <laughs> and not beating yourself up over that. <laughs> yeah. What is your biggest fear at this point of stage in your life? I think time we hit on that pretty heavily, but I'm in my forties now. And while the business has grown quite a bit, it is the last thing to come in multifamily real estate as an operator is the pay. <laughs> Basically the G general partners eat last. And so I think you have to build your portfolio of the first few hundred doors so that you can make money on the second three to four hundred doors. Um, so yeah, I think that's the biggest fear is that is reaching the financial goals as a result of the business soon because the kids are growing we're getting older and I want to provide that lifestyle. And, and my biggest fear is just the efficiency in which I can reach those, those benchmarks. Name one educational resource that made an impact in building your business. Audible. I mean, really and truly the ability to quickly digitally consume information. If you're anything like me, by the time we get to the end of the day where I, I can have time or I'm at a place to open a book, I'm falling asleep. So Audible is great. Flights, planes, trains, automobiles, you can crank through them and business taxes, entity structures, syndications, like whatever you want to learn about, it's there. And so that is, uh, that's made, that made the biggest impact was the ability to consume that information at a drastic rate, not in a classroom setting, and then going out there and Name one person that made the biggest impact on your life or, or your business. Yeah. I mean, there's, I can't ignore the fact that the bigger pockets podcast was where I started. I think that they were relatively early in it, only a year or two in. So Brandon Turner and, and those guys were huge. They were the foundation really keeping me enthusiastic and getting going. Jake and Jake. I was in their program when I first started multifamily, great people and a lot of knowledge. And then, so I have to give it to them. And then one-on-one, -on -one, uh, Chris Jackson with, with Sharpline Equity, great guy, very good at his craft, very good at multifamily, very good community and just a wonderful person. Gained a ton of knowledge from him as a coach, but also just watching him now just continue as a mentor from a distance. So, and then my business partner, Felix. He's kind of the yin. He is definitely the yin to my yang in that we cancel each other in a good way. Um, and I am overly loyal and trusting mm. people. He is uh, the guy that puts me in check and he's like, yeah, no, that guy's not. So, and he has the same background as me. So, uh, he keeps me in check. He's my sounding board. We have very different personalities, but I think that that's the core. Other partners have come and gone. And Felix and I have, have come out on the other side 
side of helping people now, which we do in coaching, but then also going and taking down deals together. So that was a long answer. It's not a call phone. There were multiple what people. What was that? They were, they were all <laughs> three to four people that were all important in their own way. It's okay. It's, it's all good. Sometimes you can't really differentiate who's actually more important, right? So, well, I can say, I can uh, what, say what was wife wrong? My wife continues to say, when is this very time consuming hobby going to start making me money? <laughs> this multifamily real estate thing. So, okay, amazing. <laughs> because when you've got a job and I'm in the military reserves and I've got kids and I've got a wife and the family, and where's the time for the real estate? It's from nine o'clock at night until one o'clock in the morning when you're underwriting and doing all those things. And that goes on for a while. Hate to break it to anybody wanting to get into the business, but uh, but it, that's that is the thing. So you gotta put some time. That's for sure. Is there one question you always wanted to be asked by someone who interviewed you in the past but never did? That's a good question. No, I mean I, I'm sure there is. Your questions have been great because they're focused more on the mindset and. The, that what we would call the breaking point, the transition point, where you went from kind of one lane to another in life, or at least the mindset behind making it happen. So it's not just about underwriting and cap rates and, and everything else that we normally talk about. So uh, it's, it's been great. This has been great. I think, uh, yeah, I think the golden nuggets are, are the partnerships, and that's what I, I don't hear enough about any of the coaching programs and any of the, the masterminds, they're big on the education piece, but then putting that into the application, the Criella and the crawl walk run, hitting that run phase is with other people. It's the only way to do it. And no, and the, I don't think people talk about it enough. Great. I think it's very important. One of the questions that I like to ask my guests is let's say in 100 years, the science fails to save us all. And all that is left is a book about your life, right? What would be the title of that book and the blurb of that book that, like, what they could tell us about Brenton Blount? Yeah. I think there's a I hope my story would come out through the ups and downs of W2 to entrepreneurial and making money and partnerships and having to make hard decisions. Hard decisions, they're not blind. They do not get better with time. Bad news, not get better with time. So being able to have the hard conversations is a life skill. It's an adult skill. And we do that. And I think that you can do it with integrity and you can do it. You can be fiercely loyal to the people who deserve it. And I mean, everybody. And just be kind. I think no matter what happens in life, you have to be kind. Kind being kind to other people is not and I was taught that at an early age by my parents and grandparents. And so I, I hope that's what they put in the book or put on the headstone. Fiercely loyal and and do it and trying to do the right thing. Making mistakes, but trying to always do the right thing for the people around you, whether it's family, whether it's business partners, or whether it's your investors. Love it. Love it. So let's say the title of the book would be Be Kind, right? Yeah. 
and the blurb would be <laughs> not being kind is not the option. Love it. Love it. Okay. So what is one tip you can leave with our audience today that they can actually take it right now and implement it right away? Yeah. If you're listening to this podcast, you're already on yeah. your way. You're consuming information. You're consuming the right information. Don't grab onto the first thing you see and, and always be willing to readjust. You don't want to be the last guy to die on the hill, right? When everybody else was like, we should change strategies. We're going to shift left or shift right, right? Don't be the last, don't be the one that didn't see it coming and, and didn't realize that it was, it was the time to make an adjustment. And that can be with partners, it can be with business direction. It could be with finances. So really any relationship. So. I think picking the right people, but you have to just get into partnerships. There are things that don't reveal themselves until, until the work gets hard or, or the situation gets challenging and then true colors come out. But so I think, um, reach out, reach out to guys like you that are plugged into people, reach out to me. You know, I don't, I'm not one of these people that, that you know, somebody DMs me and I send them a calendar link. It's like, just have a conversation, right? I'm not so busy that I can't respond. If I can't respond, I will respond in a couple of days. So I think reach out to people, start picking their brain and realize that they're running a business too. So provide value. But sometimes you don't know what that is yet. You don't know what you don't know. So get in the room with people that are at different stages and you're going to very quickly realize what skills you have that are valuable to other people. That could be in real estate or, or anything. That's gold right there. And I think it's actually a very good segue to our last question. So how can people connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. Email is a great way. LinkedIn, I'm on there. I try to check every darn platform's messaging. I find myself like, oh crap, I didn't check this for three weeks and people are waiting to reach out. At some point, I'm going to need someone to probably help me with that and stay on top of it. But definitely reach out on Instagram or Facebook, you know, messenger and, but email Branton, my first name, B R A N T as in Tom O N at the bearing group, T H E B E A R I N G G R O U P, uh, dot com. And, uh, we have a website that's being refurbished. So that'll be up probably by the time this podcast, uh, hits the airwaves, but yeah, absolutely reach out. I love talking to you. as you can tell from this podcast, I absolutely love it. And. If we can save anybody the headache of making a mistake or thinking about something backwards, um, we're always looking to do that. Love it, man. Love it. And we're going to put that information in our show notes so you guys can easily find it and reach out to Brenton if you have any questions or if you want to provide value to Brenton or just simply pick his brain. Because if you want to go, if you want to be in real estate, I think Branton is definitely a guy that you want to reach out to and pick his brain. Branton, thank you so much for coming to the show. It was a pleasure interviewing you. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I, I love doing it. And uh, you're, I love the way you have your show set up. It's a new set of questions and I love it. So appreciate your time. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you offline. All right. Have a good one. We hope that today's episode has inspired you to take action towards building the life you've always wanted. 
Don't forget to leave us a review, share, and subscribe to our podcast for more empowering stories, actionable insights, and motivation to help you make the shift towards your own dreams. Thanks again for listening to The Shift.